present by Stefan Molyneux, Chapter 24. Oliver had almost forgotten that his cell phone existed. He came across it one morning while looking for an old notebook. It was abandoned in the general detritus that gathers in drawers over the course of a long life, lived in the same place. He untangled it from his black headphones and turned it over, concerned about scratches on the glass, even though he saw no chance of using it in the foreseeable future. I used to live my life on this thing, he thought with faint wonder, swearing at screens, the modern disease. Lying dead in his hand, it was no longer a portal to the half-deranged collective hive mind. It was just a flat, black, eyeless thing. For a moment, Oliver thought about finding the charger and plugging it in. Probably some old photos. He could look at old emails, at least, and old text messages. Oliver thought briefly of all the people that used to enter his thoughts through that little black portal. How that screen could rearrange his emotions, make and dissolve loyalties, and change his mind on a thousand topics. He thought of old friends, business partners, allies and enemies, all scattered to the wind by the shattering of the electronic web that bound everyone together. Half net, half noose. He remembered Rachel. An odd woman. It's wild to think what she might have achieved if she'd been raised in a different age. There was an empiricism in her heart that was struggling to break free. A willingness to surrender, to face down her own vanity, to subsume her ego. But my lord, what a battle she had in her heart. (laughs) Reality or status, facts or praise, eternal beauty or passing prettiness. Oliver sighed, sitting heavily on his king bed. So many people had vanished into abstractions, into memory and history and unplumbed inconsequentiality. It's not that I don't care. It's just that caring won't give me any facts. I can wonder until the end of time what happened to everyone. But they have all been sucked down into the tomb of the unknown soldier. Most people's epitaphs will never be spoken in this beyond-the-end times. It reminded him of an old friend's stories about his mother, the Second World War, how he had been snatched out of the city by his father when the air raid sirens sounded, but his mother had been working for some important dignitary and felt she had to stay. And the city was bombed by a thousand planes that night for the first time in history. And because it was the first time, everything flammable remained poised to burn undisturbed by any prior fires. And the only thing his friend had found of his own mother was the metal clasp of her purse. Everything else had vanished into vapor. The entire 
street. And if they had never found that clasp, they might have imagined her still alive, lost in shocked memory, bandaged and faceless in some muddy field hospital, waiting for the past to return so she could return home. As it was, they could at least bury her in their minds, though they could not find her on the walls. How many hundreds of millions are gone now, wondered Oliver. The number will never be counted. When he was a child, he had sometimes thought of the numbers that could be counted, but never would be, and would be mostly useless even if they were. The number of dust motes above a field at noon last Thursday. The amount of bacteria on the toilet seat you were about to sit on. The numbers of belly laughs a man who had just died had experienced over the course of his whole life. The number of illegitimate children over the entirety of human history. The abstract math that existed only in reality, never in anyone's mind. And who would know what to do with such numbers, even if they could be gathered? When Oliver was very little, he had an old and very slow computer. He once imagined that the entire universe was being run by that ancient machine. Just as the computer could calculate the arc of a bomb in a two-dimensional game, so it could also calculate the movement of every neutron, proton, and atom. He smiled at the ancient memory. And we wouldn't know a thing. The slower the processing, the slower the time flows. We could be embedded in the mind of an infinitely fast god, or every tiny movement could be calculated by the digital sweat of an ancient abacus. It wouldn't matter to us. The billion years between every breath would be utterly unknown. Heavens above, I am ruminative this morning. In the past, Oliver had been much given to introspection. Since learning how to work the land, however, introspection seemed largely a self-indulgent waste of time. To rise early, work your muscles hard, produce real things, laugh and eat with friends and family, sleep well, do it all again. What needed to be examined? What needed to be fixed? Occasionally, he would have dreams about his old life, the city on airplanes, waiting for his luggage, lining up for endless government paperwork, the dusty tang of air pollution sticking to his nose hairs. He would then awake in visceral horror, imagining that his current life was a kind of dream and he was waking back up into his historical nightmare. But then it would all fade back into dreams of country nights the faint sounds of insects in the summer, the distant howling of winter wolves. Dawn bird calls woke him with joy in his heart. It was amazing how quickly the community had adapted to country life. It had taken a while for some people to cool down from the hypermania of old modern life. A half-dozen women had grumbled about depending on men, 
until they realize that men and women are designed to work together, each with their own areas of expertise and specialties. Codependence had been quickly transformed into interdependence, and the balance of nature and deep happiness was being restored. They had all lived in a matrix of misinformation, programmed and nudged and bullied and bribed into physical and mental slavery. Now, in this community, on this earth, the simple clarity of sensual reality told them no lies, punished carelessness, and rewarded labor without favor. There was no nepotism in hunting and gathering. There was no deplatforming, digital attacks, or cry-bullying. There were no politics. People just spoke their minds, had their arguments, took their lumps, and often learned their lessons. People also took better care of their health because fistfuls of compromised medication and white-walled cells in dubious treatment centers were nowhere to be found. People lost weight, ate simply, worried less, and raised their children in the natural manner. Immune systems grew robust under the polishing assault of challenging bacteria. Teeth stayed rooted in the absence of sugar. Bones and circulation grew strong under the flurries of constant necessary movement. Occasional brutal violence did erupt as indifferent punishment to distraction. One man lost his hand to a scythe. A woman lost her dog to a coyote after failing to secure a latch. Everyone quickly realized how little they had been living in the present, in the moment, in the past. The blackboard calculations of calories and food were the only physics that could rationally guide their actions. The coming of winter, the illness of animals, the need to deworm the goats that ate the dirt, to fix the limps of the ducks lacking niacin, these needs organized their days, yanking them into the present, back from the abstract realms of distraction that had swallowed them up in decades gone. The community had survived two attacks so far. The first was a yelling daylight raid, chaotic and impulsive, driven by the wild bellows of visible ribs and sunken cheeks. The gang was so hungry that they had no energy to retreat after their first attack was repulsed, but just sat in the tall grass, staring at their feet, waiting to be killed. Since they had attacked, but did not run, but did not surrender either, Oliver had led a council to figure out what should be done. Clearly the gang was desperate and on their last legs, but beating them might just embolden their return and another attack. It was finally decided to give them one day's worth of food and water. The inert invaders were blindfolded and led, some half-carried, to a distant field in the middle of the night and released. With some mumbled thanks for the food, the members of the gang had sat down on the bare, cold earth, again just staring at their feet. 
the man had returned to New Eden and the gang had been heard of no more. The second attack was more challenging. Half the population of New Eden had gotten sick and a well-coordinated assault had landed on the remainder who were struggling to take care of the unwell. Long hoarded ammunition and weaponry had been rapidly unpacked and used. The invaders had well-crafted bows and arrows and a few pistols, but not enough firepower to resist the assault rifles and semi-automatic weapons of New Eden. That attack had been costly, and once it had been discovered that some wells had been poisoned in advance of the attack, a perimeter fence had been erected and night guards stationed in high trees. Some of the middle-aged men were more curious about the outside world and would cover themselves in dense camouflage, ghillie suits really, and range for miles at night, spying with binoculars as dawn brightened the sky. There was precious little to see. The towns looked mostly uninhabited and were often infested with starving, snarling packs of dogs. Some empty cars remained on the side roads. The paved roads had been cleared and occasional army trucks could be seen speeding in various directions. Three times drones had been seen in the distance. These were left unmolested as everyone took cover. There were no airplanes. They had solar power and listened to radios and would occasionally hear crackling snippets of threats, orders and promises from metallic authoritarian voices. People were being encouraged to stay home and await deliveries or gather in central areas to await relocation or stand by to await further instructions. Apparently, surviving a dying civilization required a whole lot of waiting. They had also seen distant flares of red and orange lights on the horizon through the stained glass dividers of bare tree branches. Counting the seconds between the flashes and the thunderous roars, estimates were that the rockets or bombs were landing about a hundred miles away. Every day, Oliver expected the tanks to roll up, the helicopters to land, and everyone to be hauled off to re-education camps. He had a vivid dream one night, where an ancient, bald man with a half-melted face and a strange European accent spoke to him in an oddly silent flying helicopter. Bell, what could we do? They would not listen to reason. They vote to get everything for free. They don't care about the debts. You can't talk mass to them. They know nothing. They read nothing. They are just like baby birds with the open mouth, just as mindless, just as greedy. Normally, we would wage war, but science has made war impossible. It takes out the high and the low with equal abandon. We used to separate the wheat from the chaff and send the chaff into the trenches. Now we tell people to stand still. And those who do stand still, we let them fall. They want more and more. 
So, we have to create robots to satisfy their needs. But the robots mean we don't need them anymore. So again, I ask you, what are we to do? You are a farmer, you understand. In the past, nature would remove people who refuse to think. In the present, it falls to us. The ancient man sighed, the wild air from the half-open window blowing the white remnants of his hair. Everyone thinks we are the bad guys, the super bad dudes, as you Americans would say. But everyone would have to make the same decisions in our position. Oliver sat up on his elbows, feeling great pain in his vibrating joints. But why not just let them be free? The old man had waved his hand, reminding Oliver of Paul Schofield as the ghost in Hamlet. You set them free, they just riot. The only freedom they want is freedom from consequences. This is much more humane. And we have inherited this mess. Ach, diverse messes are always inherited. No one alive created these terrible schools, these awful cults of rage and jealousy and greed and hatred. That everyone who does better than you wins only because he has stolen from you and you are fully justified in rising up with your empty fists and beating imaginary gold out of his broken skull. <laughs> the corrupt laws, the red tides of income transfers, the monstrous teachers, the money changers and printers that infest the holy temples of our hearts. These all predate us. We are just trying to survive the bloody tsunamis that the accumulations of history have unleashed upon us. The ancient face shook sadly, slowly. And there was a chance for a moment. We actually hoped. We wanted that chance. We thirsted for that chance. The chance that the free economy could produce Enough wealth to keep even the most greedy in relative comfort. But no. They listened to the sophists and the liars and the cheats and the scoundrels, just as they have always done, I'm sad to say. And they killed the geese that laid the golden eggs and sucked their greasy fingers and pounded their fat feet and screamed for more and more and more. They spit as the gods, who withdrew and ceased to protect them from their own mindless fury. He sighed in sorrow. Yes, as a toddler must expend his tantrum, so must fools taste their own follies. So we tell them to wait, that we are coming, and that they will be taken care of and that they never have to grow up, and that they never have to listen to reason, and they never have to fend for themselves. They can just scream and cry and threaten and beg, and the skies will open up and shower them with everything they want. The old man shrugged. They believe that their emotions 
are the physics of the universe. But the universe respectfully disagrees, and we echo that opinion. So they wait and complain and panic and rage. And by the time they realize that no one and nothing is coming to save them, they are too weak to save themselves and merely sit on the ground. A liver-spotted finger rose and wagged in Oliver's horrified face. And before you think this is all about intelligence, it has little to do with that, my friend. It is about uh, initiative and empathy and maturity. Many of the most foolish are also the most intelligent, which we have the least sympathy for. The shield of natural ignorance excuses many from harsh criticism. But natural brilliance that refuses to recognize reality, refuses to sacrifice one calorie of unearned food, well, how should we feel about them? The wizened face looked to the horizon below the silent blur of blades. We feel sad, of course. But moral responsibility demands that such sadness come with an eternal shrug. Come now, our good friends. You must listen to reason. There is not enough money to pay for everything you voted for. What sacrifices are you now prepared to make? Why are you screaming? Mathematics is absolute. You learned that when you were five years old. We shall give you options. Kindly tick the boxes of what you are willing to give up. Ah, please, no crying, no shouting. We are trying to reason together. We cannot pay your pensions. So perhaps you can go and live with your children and help them out. What? Or you put your children in daycare and they don't want you to come and live with them. Well, my friends, all you must thus do is apologize and take ownership and responsibility and in deep humility ask them to take you in as a favor in humble Christian charity. Ah, of course, you are not believers and so believe you never have anything to apologize for, never have any amends or restitution to make. No universal principles can restrain the wild greed of your animal egos. Well, then we must withdraw some health care. Oh, you are too sick to give that up either? <laughs> Do you realize that most of you allowed yourself to become sick because you expected free health care forever? Very well. Let us look at foreign aid. Oh, you... You, you cannot stand seeing children suffer. But your own children are suffering. They cannot afford to start their own lives. Oh, that is less vivid for you? They are not actually starving to death in a foreign desert right before your eyes. But you realize that those children are herded into the desert in order to get foreign aid, you see? They are hostages. Your hostages, to be frank. I... You will not listen to that. Uh, very well. Uh, perhaps we can reduce 
all of the useless paper pushers who infest the bureaucracies of the modern age. <laughs> oh, we see that this is where you are employed. Well, you can go and get another job, which actually provides value, rather than getting in the way of it. Oh, you are not trained for anything else? And you will not retrain? <sighs> Very well. Uh, let us see. Perhaps we can ask adults to pay for their own education. Oh, that, that it's also unjust. <laughs> but you do realize that these government subsidies produce barbaric activists who attack the very basis of, of you. Oh, your children will be sad and they will get angry at you as well because you got educated for free. But nothing is for free. Don't you see that yet? Can you not handle the sadness? Can you not apologize for being in the wrong? Ah, yes, right. You can never apologize for anything because your animal will is forever unrestrained. The ancient man had leaned back below the blur of the silent blades above. He gestured helplessly. So, you see, everything is unsustainable because no one will restrain themselves. And we care about the future, about the generations to come who will have no trees, no clean water, no economy, no housing or education or moral wisdom. All so that fools can indulge in their own anti-rationality. What kind of justice is that? We speak for the generations to come who are hated and exploited by the greedy mouths of the present. We speak for a world being raped and eaten by the childish appetites of those born with giant mouths and no ears at all. The old man shook his head slowly. And we would have moved heaven and earth to help everyone. All they had to do was listen and decide. We scream at a man standing on the tracks that a train is coming, but he laughs and insults us. Our throat becomes raw from shouting, but then it is too dangerous. The train is too close. What would you do? My friend, Oliver, would you risk your own life to save a man too stupid to step off the tracks? Should two die for the sake of one? Should those who cry of the danger sacrifice themselves for those who refuse to listen? The ancient face leaned lower, down, towards Oliver's wide and staring eyes. It is so easy to criticize when you don't have to make the decisions. And you are making these decisions, 
my friend. <laughs> you think we are so different? When people wanted to bring their elderly, sick parents, what did you say? You did the cost-benefit calculation, as all living things must if they wish to survive. Why is Jada not with you? Oh, yes, I know her name, for I am you. We are one. And you are alone, because you have not learned to love the need for harshness. You have not embraced the absolutism of life. You feel guilt. You feel that you should have done more. You carry that cross just as he did. You want to save people by becoming them, by turning them into yourself. Possession, like a demon of reason. But that will not save them. That will only erase them. That quote, they made a desert and called it peace. That is about you, my friend, my mirror. You wanted to save everyone, but they would not listen. And you own that, as if you own others, as if you can displace their sovereign minds with your reason statements. But language is not possession. It is only persuasion. When people choose death, that murders your heart a little, my friend. Let us be honest. Let us be frank. It is time. But there is no life without the choice of death. That is one of the few cliches that contains great power. You must detach yourself from the effects of your words. Your words you can control. The effects, not at all. Let them live, even if they choose death. Especially so, perhaps. As the old man spoke, leaning closer and closer, the sound of the helicopter began to rise to a mad thwacking hum, and the edges of the blades began to brighten into a perfect whirring halo around the ancient man's tragic, broken face. And Oliver awoke with a start to the sound of the coughing generator outside his window. 